Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. Before we get started, can you tell everyone your name, the name of your private practice, and your location? Sure. My name is Mikkel Smith, and I am the owner of Salt Lake Speech and Language, and we are located in Salt Lake City, Utah. Fantastic. So, Mikkel, tell us about what your early life um, as an SLP was like before you decided to uh, pursue private practice. So, actually, I always had the dream of having a private practice. Growing up, my mom ran a private school, and so I watched her in that role. I knew that I wanted to work with kids in some capacity. And then when I decided on becoming a speech language pathologist, I knew private practice was the route I wanted to take. So actually my entrance essay for grad school discussed just that. And I just didn't think it would happen quite as quickly as it did. So I um, completed graduate school MICF back in DC at a charter school and then I moved out to Utah and started working for a private practice, Salt Lake Speech and Language. And within a few months, the owner at the time let all of her employees know she was looking to sell. She was pursuing a second master's degree and she wanted to keep it in-house as opposed to selling to an outside agency. And so I thought, what a great opportunity I've always wanted. I don't know what that looks like or what that entails, but let's go for it and just see how it works out. And it worked out perfectly. So I took over the practice my after my second year officially in the profession. And it has been great ever since. I haven't looked back and have just been pushing forward and I've loved every minute of it. That is so cool. So basically you just, this opportunity fell into your lap and rather than, you know, panicking and saying, I don't know, I'm not ready for this, although you may have also felt those things, but you said yes. And so what were some of the early learning 
that you had to, you know, what were some of the opportunities to learn that you had to do in those first couple of years after buying this practice? Luckily, the previous owner was fantastic. And she really, even though she was no longer practicing or um, doing the administrative duties, she trained me for probably six months on how it worked for her. At the time, she had one contract, and I thought, okay, this is really great. She helped me walk through every process, every administrative duty. So I feel like I was very lucky in that sense that I had her essentially hold my hand throughout the first six months, and then I felt like I had a good enough grasp of it that I could step forward on my own. So really, I think... Um, the first big learning curve for me was trying to expand, mm -hmm. trying to get new contracts and or private clients. Mm -hmm. What that really looked like um, for me, the, the biggest hurdle I think was negotiating price, mm -hmm. especially for those school contracts. And I learned a lot in the first year, a lot of what not to do, what was common or what was general practice. And, um, so those kinds of things, expanding the practice was where my first big learning curve was, I think. Nice. Um, and then how did you overcome that learning curve? Just through experience. So I had a couple of conversations with some schools and learned quickly that the way that I was approaching it was not common practice in terms of my rate was too high. And so then I negotiated a rate, but I, with one school in particular, we had about five conversations where we were discussing rate. And at the time that we were having those conversations, they said, you know what, we just can't afford it. And so I thought, that's okay. I have some others in the works, so I'll just move forward. And then that was, so that was the end of a school year. Summer passed, I didn't hear anything from them. Honestly, I forgot about it. Come the fall, they contacted me again and said, you know what, we are really struggling. We really need help. Let's continue the conversation. And so we were able to come to an agreement and fulfill that contract. That's fantastic. So I think just pushing forward, even though things weren't going my way or the way I thought that they should go, mm -hmm. just having and being honest and open with them having an honest discussion of what was feasible for them, but what also made sense for me because I knew I figured out if I went too low, it didn't make sense. I wasn't going to make any money. And in fact, I would be losing money. And so just being open and honest in our dialogue. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, what, how did you change things if at all from the way the practice was being run to how maybe you wanted to do things differently? Um, I think that I provided hands-on training. So part of my practice also that separates us, I think, from other private practices that we um, specialize in telepractice. So when I came on board, the previous owner trained me in telepractice and most of our contracts, we do telepractice some in our immediate area, we will go on site too. And of course our private clients mostly come in. Um, so I think a lot of the training that I provided for my therapist, especially if they are new to telepractice and 
I think that also connects back to the difficulty getting contracts and growing because at the time, and this was four or five years ago, telepractice was still fairly new and so people shied away from it. Whereas now it's more acceptable, the whole telehealth field is growing tremendously and people are realizing if we can't get services in-house, telepractice is really a great option. And so um, wanting to, I only think for me, wanting to expand came from my sense of wanting to help others. I know that there are a ton of students, um, older patients, you know, just across the spectrum that need help and just aren't getting it. They don't have the resources. So wanting to help them and reach out to them. And I think I also had the resources in terms of therapist, whereas before the previous owner didn't have that. So she really kept it small because she wanted to be able to provide services for everyone that the, her current contract was giving her. And I had enough backing and support from other therapists that we could spread out and try to service others. That's fantastic. <laughs> So what kind of clients are you primarily, or are you and your practice primarily serving? I know that you mentioned a lot of school contracts. What kind of you know, like diagnoses, ages, et cetera, are you guys working with? So we work mostly with school age, kindergarten through 12th grade. A lot of our, really the diagnoses span a wide variety. A lot of strictly our tick, a lot of language, some on the spectrum. Um, some with Down syndrome, some pretty much nonverbal. So it really runs the spectrum. I would say the majority, though, are those higher functioning language Arctic students. Nice, nice. And how do you go about finding new schools to do contracts with and kind of like, do you feel like you have to really sell the idea of telepractice or is that becoming a little bit easier? How, how I guess, do you find new schools to contract with? Sure. So I used to have, I feel like I used to have to sell really hard. It was a new concept and people were like, well, what is that? How does that work logistically? And so I would do a lot of demos as well. Um, in terms of finding new contracts, some schools put out requests for proposals and so there are a number of different sites you can search for those. I just Google it and then a whole couple of pages or hundreds of pages will show up and you can search for RFPs as they're called, in which case most frequently, some you can submit online, most frequently they give you guidelines and it's a couple of pages long. And so you type up a proposal and then submit it to the school. So that's one way. I've also just um, started emailing schools. I will search if I know there's a particular area that is struggling for finding speech language pathologists, then I will search that area, all the schools in the area. I will sometimes look at their website to see if they have faculty listed, if they have a speech language pathologist on there. I don't typically contact them. If they don't have an SLP listed, I'll reach out and just say, this is who we are. This is what we specialize in. We would love to discuss possibly servicing your students. Can we get on a phone call type of thing? So that takes a lot of work, but I find that it's been beneficial. Sometimes 
the schools don't even know it's an option. So they've been searching and searching and their job postings have been posted for a really long time and they filled. Or they get the staffing agencies who say, oh, we'll help you find someone and then they also can't find anyone. So even though it's time consuming, I find it beneficial. Yeah, I think that that sounds great. And that sounds like also something you could potentially outsource somebody at least finding those contacts, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you've um, thought to do that or not, but you know, there are, there are websites like Upwork and whatnot that you could at least have somebody, you would tell them exactly what to look for because um, you do need to be really explicit about what you're looking for but someone might be able to at least find like name, contact info, email address, and just give, fill out some sort of a spreadsheet about what info was on there. Um, and so that you can use your time actually, you know, responding to emails or making a follow-up phone call um, or whatever. I, I always tell therapists, try to outsource as much as, as you can that doesn't get into, you know, gray areas with HIPAA and whatever else. But if it's stuff that you can have anybody kind of do for you, try to get that off your plate so that you can get the more important stuff done. And that is something, that is great advice and something I'm trying to learn and implement. Right now I still feel like it's my baby. I don't know if I can trust, which seems so silly, but can I trust somebody else? And I have been doing some business coaching and that's exactly what they've been telling me to just outsource get a virtual assistant or something to do those things you don't really want to do and that take up a lot of time. You can outsource and then spend your time doing the things you love or that you value more. Or that you're good at, or, right? Yeah. Things, or that that, things that you like and you're good at, you should be doing. Things that you like routinely are like, oh, I really don't want to do that. I mean, that's why a lot of people end up outsourcing billing, right? And bookkeeping, and all of those kinds of things is just like, okay, this is one thing that I don't necessarily need to concentrate on. I'm going to put this in the hands of somebody who's really good at it. Right. Um, so what is, tell us what, what does a day in the life look like for you? So a day in the life. Yeah. I know it's a really broad question, but like in general, what does a day look like for you? In general, I, I also still see clients. And so a typical day for me would be during the day I am seeing my caseload and doing the paperwork and that sort of thing. And then I have small children. And so when I'm home, I try to be present with them. And when they go to bed, I follow up on my administrative duties. Nice. And so you have contractors working for you? I do. Okay. So how many contractors do you have? Nine. Nine. Fantastic. And they do all telepractice? Most of them, but I have uh, one other who sees clients in person. Okay. Well, I take that back Two. one that comes, we do have a physical location. So one that comes aside from myself comes to the physical location to see clients. And then one that goes on campus to other schools and sees clients. Nice. Just out of curiosity with like state rules and whatnot. So are your therapists in Utah treating people in Utah or are they also licensed in other states? They're also licensed in other states. So I have one therapist in Nevada. So she's licensed in Nevada as well as Utah. One in Florida who has a Florida and Utah license. And then I also have a Nevada and Florida license as well as Utah. So we always make sure that 
they have to be licensed wherever they're living, as well as the state in which the person they're seeing is located. Yeah. One day, hopefully that will change. Yes. But for now, that's the rule. So we all have to follow the rule. Um, but that's great to diversify and find contract therapists to work for you who just happen to be licensed in other states and or who can easily become licensed in other states. Right. I think that's definitely a good way to go. I haven't done a ton of telepractice myself, but um, I, I'm from New Orleans originally, came to grad school in Boston, lived in Boston for a long time, started my private practice, and then briefly went down to New Orleans for about a year and a half. And during that time, I thought, I, I didn't know how long I was gonna be in New Orleans. So rather than discharge my Massachusetts private clients, I, I kept my mass license and continued to see them via, most of them anyway, via telepractice. And then also saw some clients in New Orleans, but then also had a regular job at a sniff and whatever else, and then moved back to Massachusetts. So it's kind of nice to have that dual licensure and be able to take advantage of it from a private practice point of view. Yes, and I think that happens fairly often where a client will get attached to a therapist and one of the parties will move and then they would like to continue seeing that therapist. So telepractice is a great option in which to do that through. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a really nice option too to get started like after you move to a new town as you're setting up, you know, either, you know, a new private practice or getting settled or whatever, it's a really nice way to just maintain, you know, some income and some continuity in your life and the life of your client um, and get some income while you're getting settled. So that's another benefit. So where do you see your business heading in the next six to 12 months or beyond? Sure, so um, we're actively trying to get new contracts. I recently began reaching out to the Preschools, sorry, nice. blank. preschools in the area. Um, and many of them actually have responded very positively as in they have a big need for it and are looking for services. So I am hoping to expand into that new space as well, into the preschools. Um, okay. So one of the things that people who hear about other people in private practice doing telepractice want to know is what kind of software programs or platforms are people using? So do you mind describing what platform you're using? Sure, so there recently have been a number of platforms created specifically for therapies. And since my time beginning in telepractice, I didn't love the platforms that were available. I didn't feel like they were appropriate or accurate enough, didn't provide enough interactive features, and so, I actually built a, a telepractice platform. Wow. I designed it, worked with a development team, and we have recently rolled it out. We have currently an MVP that we have users on and they're providing us feedback. One thing that's very important to me throughout this technol, technol, <laughs> sometimes my words, I need speak, I need help. Totally okay. Technological journey, technology journey, is user feedback. 
So I know for myself as a telepractitioner, what I would like to see in a platform, and I realize that that doesn't necessarily mean the majority would like it to see it. And so for me, that feedback is really important. So along our journey, I'm really hoping that people feel comfortable and that they will provide that feedback. I really want it to feel like a collaborative effort as a part of the whole instead of just one person or party making the executive decisions. So we're currently getting that feedback in hopes that we'll be able to push version two out shortly. And I would love to offer your listeners an extended free trial if they are willing and want interested and would love to get their feedback. Oh, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Um, I think that that's really cool, right? You, you found a need. I mean, your whole story really is that you have found needs in the marketplace and filled them, right? So you have found kids in schools that needed services and didn't have them. So you found the need and you filled it with telepractice, right? And right. then you figured out that the telepractice platforms that were currently available weren't quite as interactive as maybe you or other clinicians would have liked. So now you've developed some telepractice software. That's fantastic. Thank you. It's been quite a journey and learning experience. I wish that I had taken a business course or two, but it's been such a fun one. I am hoping that you know, my vision of being able to spread what we're doing for not just my own practice or myself, but for all practitioners to be able to spread beyond the walls of their brick and mortar or beyond the walls of their home health practice or whatever their journey looks like to be, because I know at the bottom of our hearts, that's what we're in it for. We're in it to help others. So if I can help provide an avenue for them to do that, that would really make me happy. So. And I think you're just at the beginning. I mean, telepractice is still considered relatively new, right? So yeah. I think that you're at still the forefront of using that as a service delivery model. And because there's so much um, confusion and anxiety, et cetera, related to having a reliable, solid platform to deliver quality, high quality services for, good for you for figuring out, you know, what the needs are, listening to the people in your MVP beta and just following through with making changes so that this platform will work for people. Well, thank you. I'm really trying. That's awesome. Well, good. Well, do you have any other um, tips or tricks or things that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I would say, and this, I'll be honest, is something I continue to tell myself too, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid if you, in your heart of hearts or in your gut, have a feeling of something that you want to do or need to do, just do it. Words to live by. Nike has used that slogan, right? And so we might That's as right. well too. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you so much for your, um, your advice and your sharing your story. And I think that we're all going to look forward to seeing what your telepractice software is all about. 
and um, just keep on being um, kind and generous and forward thinking. And again, thank you so much for sharing your story with our listeners. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Have a great night. Now that you've listened to the podcast, I hope that you're all fired up to help more people while making more money. If you need help starting or growing your private practice, I can help. I have created tons of high quality resources for beginning through established private practitioners alike to help you save time, money, and confusion. Just visit www.privatepracticeinfo.com and get instant access to everything from startup guides to marketing plans to ongoing support and mentorship and more. Listen, private practice can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. My job is to simplify the process for you so that you can do what you do best, help people. But first, you have to help yourself. Just go to www.privatepracticeinfo.com and get the resources you need to succeed today. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at Independent Clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.